This is Joe Schumkweiler. I'm a physician by background and I lead adoption and training at Allidade. Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast where we explore the transformation of American healthcare as seen from one company that works with independent physician groups around the country to start and run accountable care organizations. ACOs are a new model within Medicare that pays providers not just for how much work they do, but also for how healthy they keep their patients. This is Josh Israel, a physician and medical director here at Allidade. For this interview, we talked to Rick Volandingham, who's the vice president of EHR optimization at Allidade. EHR, of course, stands for Electronic Health Records, which is the software that healthcare providers use to enter and store patients' healthcare data, and can also include features like billing and scheduling systems. Physicians have a lot of strong feelings about their EHRs. Rick is a humble guy, and he was worried that no one would want to hear a whole podcast about EHRs, but Joe and I were not surprised that he had a lot of interesting things to say, and I know I learned quite a few things. Rick spoke really clearly about why EHRs haven't yet fully lived up to their potential to make healthcare better for both doctors and patients, and some ways that that's actually starting to change. And if you're a healthcare provider thinking about switching to a new EHR, you should hear his ideas on what you should be looking for before you make that move. Rick also touches on what it's like for a company like Allidade to try to create a system of seamless data connections when we work with practices who use over 70 different EHRs. All right, so with that, let's get to our conversation. So I may be dating myself here, but I remember very vividly when the hospital I was working at as a resident did the cutover to uh, a large out-of-the-box EHR system from their homegrown EHR. And I was amazed at how painful that was. Um, this was 2008, 2009, and I, I can't imagine if you had told me then that I'd be working so, so closely with EHRs on a regular basis um, that I would have been pleased about that. But um, it's something we're really proud of here at Allidade. Uh, so I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to Rick today, who's a key part of that team. Yeah, I'll tell you my own experience. I worked first with the VA's uh, computer system, CPRS, which was actually pretty good. And then as a psychiatrist, psychiatrists were not included uh, in the meaningful use measure, so you could not get reimbursed. So psychiatrists generally were working on very spare EHRs that, that wouldn't have passed meaningful use, and they were great. They were so simple, they did everything we needed, uh, and then we move into the world of meaningful use where it can be very different. So that brings us to where we are today here with Rick Valendingham. Um, Rick, let's start with the basics. Your title is Electronic Health Record Director at Allidade. So what is that? Well, um, essentially, I lead a, a small but mighty team that uh, we try our best to kind of sit at the intersection of uh, the initiatives uh, that we're working on here uh, at Allidade and within our practices, and if nothing else, kind of provide that reality check of how some of this work translates to the practice realities. So um, what's it really mean, um, given that in a physician's day-to-day world and their staffs, it really comes down to um, what they're doing in their EHR. That's their source of truth. That's what they're living in day in, day out. So we got to translate those into um, what's meaningful to them and their existing workflows. So that's really where we're, we're trying to um, establish clear point of views and best practices of what we think works for these top EHRs and take that guesswork out for our partner practices so that when we're talking about you know, key initiatives that those are easily translated for them uh, and they know how to implement and operationalize them uh, in the framework of something they know because that's what they're living in every day. And how about your background? What, what prepared you or, or left you unprepared for this, for this job? What were you doing before well, I was said? I don't know if there's preparing for this job uh, exactly, but I did kind of traverse healthcare uh, over the last 20 years, as much as I hate saying anything, uh, has 20 years attached to it to me. But um, I um, started in case management and quality. Um, well, technically, I started in pharma, moved into the hospital system uh, in case management. Um, so leading performance improvement effort, 
efforts and uh, utilization review and kind of had that perspective, spent some time on the payer side, um, went to a small healthcare technology company uh, doing e-prescribe uh, rollout, and then rode the wave of that meaningful use um, kind of big push uh, with that legislation um, by having a consulting company. So we did hundreds of implementations of new electronic health records and kind of helped small practices vary in line with who Allidate is working with a lot uh, to adopt these technologies and use them meaningfully, both for the meaningful use dollars, as well as uh, you know really adopting the spirit of what uh, that legislation was for. Um, so kind of all those coalesced into uh, kind of my new world at Allidade, uh, which brings a lot of those pieces together. You know, the quality, how we manage patient panels, uh, utilization efforts, and of course, how we tech enable that, uh, both through our own technology and uh, the practices EHR. But you had not worked with a, a large number of EHRs. In consulting, we did. So we were very similar to how Allidade looks at it, you know, vendor agnostic. Mm -hmm. So we would kind of take whatever the practice had or what was the right fit. So whatever they selected um, is what we either learned along with them or uh, did several certifications kind of in preparation for that consulting world. So yeah, walking into Allidate, I at least had about 15 EHRs under my belt, um, but that, that ex exploded even more than mm -hmm. I thought. I thought I was pretty well armed for mm -hmm. that, but uh, Allidate world certainly opened that horizon pretty fast. Rick, did you have a technical background? I'm, I'm not. So I took the long way into healthcare a little bit because I started as a journalist, hmm. which makes total hmm. sense, um, and started in scientific communications uh, in the pharma space, hmm. but kind of realized I really didn't have any technical anything to talk about or write about so that I probably needed right. to live something uh, on the medical side. And that's kind of was my entry into the healthcare system. And it just quickly kind of sucked me into like the informatics space okay. uh, of rolling out a big um, enterprise level EHR on the inpatient side uh, during my time at the health network. So kind of just got pulled into uh, that IT side, but definitely not truly technical. I live more on that functional side. Mm -hmm. So at the elbow of the provider and the staff uh, and the realities of those day-to-day -day workflows. Uh, certainly along the way, you're gonna learn the underpinnings of system configuration and, and all the data stuff that comes with that. Uh, but my background is really business and journalism. So from journalism, instead of having people shouting at you at rallies that you're the enemy of the people, that now the, the doctors can shout that. <laughs> yeah, there's always shouting. I didn't avoid that part as, as I pivoted. But uh, yeah, I definitely took a, a very different leap uh, to kind of the the energy coming at me, uh, and definitely a lot of a lot of loud conversations with providers during EHR implementations. Yeah, yeah I can. I, having lived through one of those many years ago, I can imagine. Uh, so you you obviously spent some time in the EHR space, working with systems, working payer, provider, the whole range. What about the accountable care side? Is that something you did before? What did you know about that before coming here? Well, I thought I knew something, um, but I quickly learned that what that means on that large hospital side of the world is certainly not right. what it means on our side, um, or if nothing else, the Allidade view of it. So I had exposure to the concept, um, but it was a little more of like ACO on paper, mm -hmm. the, the legalities of it, um, and how they sort of just layered that into uh, the existing health system network. So coming here definitely changed that perspective to something very... Um, well, certainly broader and, you know, more meaningful, you know, use of the term population health of really embracing uh, this panel of patients and looking for all those opportunities to have impact beyond just continuing to do what we always do and, and hope that we save money in the end. So really refreshing to see um, the passion and, and energy of seeing those outcomes um, come full circle around what it was intended to be with value-based care. So. I can imagine, especially coming from doing 
uh, you mentioned consulting type work where you probably did the first leg of that journey and didn't always totally see out. yeah and didn't see <laughs> left it left a, the the white paper behind kind of thing. Um, this is a very different setup than that for you. Yeah, you're living the whole. You know, you're not parachuted in and out. You really get to right. see it all the way through, and it's great to go in with uh, a good idea, but letting it really play out and see what works and what doesn't and kind of dealing with those hard lessons and finding the better ways, that's definitely um, a little new here to, right. to get to live those out all the way through, but certainly way more rewarding to yeah. see when they pay off. I can and, imagine. and that's a good point you make about accountable care organizations really being incentivized to utilize EHRs for what they were intended to be used for, you know, using them for population health where when they got ruled out, they ended up often just being used as as boxes to check and the, the accountable yeah. care really is pushing to, to make better use of it. Yeah, I think it nudges you there uh, pretty hard is you, you kind of follow these tracks of it may have been exactly why, and in many cases it was the only reason why, um, you know, this technology was embraced was because there was a good amount of dollars behind it. And both on the vendor and you know the practice or hospital side, that energy was really about the checkboxes because mm-hmm. that's that's where the money was. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly under that, there was the spirit of the right thing, but it was really easy to get lost in that. So um, now that we've kind of jumped off that cliff and I've had a little time to live it, um, it's nice to see where the ACO initiatives uh, allow folks to see that. There really was something behind that mm-hmm. foundation, as much as it was painful to get there, that uh, it provided kind of that baseline uh, functionality that really starts to mean something now. So you, you've done a lot of the hard work of putting stuff into this EHR, and now we want to talk to you about how we make some real use out of it uh, in this day-to-day work. Rick, those of us at Allidade know you are among the more prolific travelers we have. Um, sort of like a, like a Carmen San Diego game. Like where <laughs> in the world is Rick Vallandigham? Um, we're in twenty states. We have over three hundred practices. It's growing at, as we speak right now. Um, and all those practices, they're not on the same EHR, are they? No, that's not our reality. Not our model. Um, so. Part of what makes Allidade certainly different um, from anybody that I, that I know of in this space is you know, we want to keep that fiercely independent doc independent, uh, and that includes uh, the technology that works for them. And so you know, we meet them where they're at uh, with what they have in place and work with it as best we can um and make sure that we're getting to work on the right stuff for the patient and not adding in a layer of distraction mm-hmm. by uh pushing them to you know our ehr of choice or even you know choices we don't even really have a short list of what we want them to be on um we're going to take what they've got uh, and use a lot of the talent here to make sure that we can make it work for them Certainly we have folks that realize uh, they want something better, that they're moving into this new model and they want cooler Mm -hmm. tools and to be with a vendor that um, is a little more on the cutting edge of value-based care to to make their lives easier. But um, that's up to them. And until then, you know, we work to get data flowing and to arm our EHR team. Uh, We may not know that EHR, but we're going to dig in. Uh, and figure it out with them and, and how to make it work for uh, the kind of initiatives that we're after in that market. So, so with the numbers that we have, how many, how many different EHRs are out there and how do, you, how do you parse them out? Like how do you divide them up? So vendors, EHR vendors, we're really looking at about 70 right now. And that's kind of a combination of EHR and practice management systems. And when you say vendor, you mean like GE and the Greenways right? and the Allscripts okay. and, you know, and some of those have multiple products under their uh, portfolio. Um, so we got a number of players uh, in the mix, and then at any given time, you know, if you kind of carve out the practice management stuff, uh, we've always got at least fifty kind of in flight that we have active um, engagement with, active interfaces, uh, and active optimization work going on. Uh, we've seen some consolidation in the market 
So we expected that to happen you know, years ago with meaningful use, that it would kind of push out some small vendors who just couldn't keep up um, with the functionality uh, and, and being certified. That didn't really happen as quickly as we expected, um, but we have seen in the last couple of years that um, certainly some players and, and some of our practices were um, using EHRs where the vendor just bowed out, that they, they weren't going to keep up with 2015 uh, edition uh, requirements, and uh, that kind of forced them to kind of pick a different path and generally go to you know, a vendor that we know works well in the value-based care world, but doesn't change that we've we've always got a lot of EHRs at play. Um, we look at you know the top tier, right? The names most people are familiar with, uh, all scripts and clinical works and Athena and so on, is kind of those top tiers that are certainly have a lot of market share. Um, and then we've kind of got this tail. Uh, where we may only have one or two practices using them, uh, but we're still supporting them in terms of um, all of our interfaces as well as template work. Can you, talk, we can. can you talk through the, the interface process briefly um, at a high level? Yeah, so you know, there's really three key sources of information that become super important uh, in terms of how we um, gain insights uh, into the population and, and can make you know, clear data-driven recommendations. And it's claims data, so the scrappiest way to just get started. So we know something historically about your population um, and what's going out the door from a billing standpoint, which tells a pretty good story uh, for a number of initiatives, um, including risk scoring, um, whether you're billing TCM visits and so on. So a lot of insight from claims. We also get a scheduling feed that drives our uh, Allidate app and clinical. So we want to see from the EHR an extraction of uh, that uh, patient's documentation so we can leverage that certainly for insights into your population but also for quality reporting requirements that come with the territory of uh, being in an ACO. So I still will be surprised when I talk to some providers that I learn about new EHRs. <laughs> Me that, too. That, so okay, I. that was my question. That, it's never ending. Yeah, I met. Yeah. A, I spoke to some of our providers in, in Paducah, Kentucky, and they have an EHR that's used only there, and then another one that's used only in a certain area of Utah. It feels like Darwin's Finches. Do, do you still Good. learn about EHRs you've never heard of before? I get surprised. I looked at our list of EHRs today for in the context of something else, and I, I name took me by surprise that I had never heard of. And certainly as we recruit practices, sometimes it starts to uh, make me feel inadequate. Like I should know what all these are when uh -huh. they reach out and say, who do we have on this? I've never heard of that. Uh -huh. um, so it, it's been a while since I looked at really how many they say are you know, actively on the market, but the number's been in like the seven to 800 range wow. in terms of number of EHRs uh, offered out there. So it shouldn't be surprising uh, that we'd be thrown by name here and there. Um, but I, just when I think I kind of have a pretty good wrangle on it, every mm -hmm. wave mm -hmm. of, of recruitment of folks joining the ACOs, we certainly have some new names in the mix to us. And, and there is a lot of um, kind of density in various geographies where you know, a small vendor has really got a strong market hold mm -hmm. and that they quickly become a reality for us to to figure out in order to make that ACO successful. It's interesting too. Some of these small EHRs, they're um, the docs are pretty happy with them. The they, the owner of the company is local and very yeah. responsive. Hard to knock that, right? It, you may laugh at the EHR that was built in somebody's garage, but at least you got the direct line to them mm -hmm. uh, to see it change fast. And and we have some good success stories with that, mm -hmm. where you know we might get a little nervous at first glance, but. They're collaborative. They um, often realize that, you know, just uh, in the vein of exactly what we're trying to do, keep these practices independent, that's their customer base. Mm -hmm. and, and they need them to stay independent because if they go to the hospital, then uh, they're plucking away at their customer base too. Mm -hmm. So um, most of the time, you know, they're happy to be at the table and, and help us figure um, out, you know, how to work together. 
and uh, continue delivering you know, for that practice so that they don't have to look to something else. Yeah, that's an interesting point, uh, Rick, that I actually hadn't thought about previously. You and I, in the interest of full disclosure, our teams work closely in getting new practices set up with Allidate system, both from a services side, but also our app technology. So um, we, when we see one of these EHRs that we hadn't heard of previously, um, sometimes we uh, are concerned that it's going to be tough, but you make a great point that when you could call up the person who wrote the code or or owns the business, you know you're not going to get somebody. The you're not going to get Jonathan Bush, the former CEO of Athena, <laughs> right? on the phone. Yeah. If you're having trouble getting the data out of an Athena system, or you know eClinicalWorks or any of these other big players. Yeah, it's certainly one of those where it could go either way, right? It, it's generally not in the middle. It's sort of like, hey, we're here. Right. We're going to figure it out and uh, work with you, or it's you know we're digging in. Um, this is what we do, and you know we're a small shop, and, and we're not quite sophisticated enough to give you the kind of data in the way that you're after. Um, but you know that that's when we just start to get creative about how we do that. But yeah, sometimes it's a real asset uh, to to have those small guys. Um, we also have that in Louisiana, where you know at first blush we we thought that could be a problem, and how quickly we can ramp up and get them actionable insights, but. Turned out they were the they were the ones there first over the finish line um, in kind of meeting us on all our ask and the practice um, being armed with you know all of the lists and data insights that we really want them to have right out of the gate. So refreshing sometimes to have those small guys in the mix. Another great you know point off of that is um, other similar startups who do value-based care, maybe in a very specific area like cancer care, I'm thinking Flatiron Health, who was recently Mm -hmm. purchased by Roche, I believe. Um, They bought an EHR, and they had all their folks go on that same EHR. So why do you think we at Allidade haven't either encouraged people to use one EHR or just bought our own to run side-by-side with the app? Yeah, it certainly always kind of comes up as like the obvious thing of why why wouldn't we do that? Um, but it's not an easy switch ever. So it really would stall out on a lot of momentum you know, we may have in a market in an ACO or even specific to that practice. Uh, that, you know, that's all consuming. You know, if, you, if you really want somebody to adopt new technology that drives everything day to day as well as their cash flow, um, they're not gonna be working on anything else. So if we can make it work and they're happy with it, then it makes sense for us to plug along. Um, and really our answer is to match that on the back end, okay? Uh, at Halliday then, we're gonna hire really smart people who can figure out how to normalize all these data sources, uh, get connectivity to all these disparate EHRs, and kind of accept the pain there versus inflicting it on the practice who may not feel inclined uh, to make an investment in what is often a more expensive EHR um, and essentially um, kind of bury them in a big distraction uh, before they can get to work on you know the population health stuff we're after. Which can be hard in and of itself. Which enough, it's, it's <laughs> right. can be a full-time job there that, um, yeah, it's tough to do both. You really can't expect them to be uh, juggling both those projects and they're and it's not a small one um, in terms of data migration and often running two EHRs in parallel until you fully transition over. So, you know, expecting them to really manage that patient in a different way sometimes while they're doing it in two different systems, uh, we really just piled on uh, what our ask is of them. So, you know, it sounds like for recruiting, avoiding disruption, as you said. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to push for a single EHR as a switchover or have our own that we then switch them over to. Um, you talked a little bit broadly about the challenges, but what do you like what is our strategy for addressing those challenges at Allidade? Yeah, the, the data we get certainly um, is a big project to be talking apples to apples on. So um, one, uh, we got to get data flowing. <laughs> and uh, kind of get some consistent channels of that data flowing. So the plumbing itself uh, for that is a big lift. So we've got a team here devoted just to 
um, dealing with all the various vendors, uh, the contracting piece, um, and we've got some cool tools in the middle that allow us to quickly connect to some of these systems. So smart about how we can uh, deploy um, some kind of a mediary uh, kind of tools to get data flowing fast and that allows us to really put our clinical informatics team to work to say let's make sure when we talk in A1C among these 70 systems that we're all talking A1C. So that's a uh, certainly a collaborative effort between the EHR team to uh, do that customization in the EHR and help kind of do that back-end configuration and then once we receive that data really making sense of it on the clinical informatics side so that we're applying it in a consistent way uh, and hopefully looks pretty seamless that all that data came from that many different vendors. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you know Rick, I obviously work with you on the GPRO team and GPRO being the acronym for the process by which Medicare tries to measure quality in accountable care organization. Um, and as you know very well, at GPRO time is one of the times of the year where we hear most about all the problems with uh, all the kinds of all the different kinds of EHRs that we're on. Why is it that at GPRO time you think that it comes up so strongly? Well, I think um, nobody likes to do manual chart review. That's ultimately <laughs> what it starts with. And so we do a lot of work to get data flowing from our EHRs and those 70 different vendors to automate what we can. So a huge amount of work goes into that automation effort and we do a pretty good job. And you know, Allidade's only been around for four years now. So it's a, and it's definitely an iterative process to kind of keep getting better each time. And we have um, to where we're automating a good chunk of that. But there's always this level of what's left. You know, we can only automate uh, quality measures that you meet. I'm not going to automatically fail you mm -hmm. on a um, falls risk uh, assessment that you uh, didn't do because uh, it might be in there. It may just be, you know, a documentation uh, choice. You may choose to dictate in your EHR because that's what works best for you. And certainly that's okay. So we've done a lot of work to automate anything we can, uh, for one. Two, we What do you mean when you say automate? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But. So we'll, as we set up a clinical interface uh, across our practices and their EHR, um, we're going to take that data in and map it to the quality measures we have to report on for GPRO. So we have 15 EHR-based quality measures, at least for uh, the 2018 reporting year that uh, we need to submit uh, to CMS uh, as a requirement to being an ACO. So we're going we're gonna to give them a really good head start by making that investment in uh, the clinical interface with their EHR so that when that time comes for GPRO that hopefully they see that the data we have matches how good they think they are at that measure and we give them a shot to fill in the gaps okay. so they can go in and say actually you know my providers do dictate and um, i can find this in the h&p note and we still get credit for that measure so the hr discussion certainly comes up because that's a great learning opportunity to also see where the dots aren't connecting so um, a practice may have done some unique configuration or has some unique template that they've implemented that is a little different than what we expect. That's certainly fine, uh, but sometimes that's when we get to discover it. <laughs> so as they're doing chart reviews and saying, hey, I, I think this lives in the right spot. Why am I not getting um, credit, automated credit? <laughs> Um, so that I can save this little chart review effort. So it's a really good time for us to take an inventory of that and kind of shore up those gaps so that every year we just keep getting better and that that GPRO um, experience uh, feels like less of a lift for them year after year. Yeah, I remember very distinctly the first year I was doing GPRO with you, I got a call. It was late Friday um, it was Friday evening the from classic late Friday. Yeah, yeah from a from a, an upset medical director down in West Virginia saying 
we're looking at the data and it looks like 18% uh, of our data in West Virginia is automated and so you're telling us we have to manually do 82% of it and please tell me this is a typo. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't, but we've made some progress since then. Yeah, we made some really big strides to where uh, certainly for any of our ACOs, even new ones, um, you know, have only been around a year and we're in their first year of reporting GPRO with us, that we were over, you know, the 50% mark kind of on the low end um, for that ACO as a whole. Um, and, you know, many of those, you don't even have a clinical interface up yet, right? So it takes time to contract with the vendor um, and even get data flowing. And, you know, there's a ramp up to looking at that data and making sense of it. Uh, to confidently uh, give a practice credit. So certainly, you know, we're reporting this to CMS. It has to be accurate. Um, and we can't just turn on the plumbing and, and just count everything as it comes through. Just because you ordered a mammogram does not mean that got done. And that's what our measure is. So mm -hmm. we have to apply some scrutiny to that to make sure anything we submit is accurate. And, you know, the first year, there may be a little bit of a delta there. Um, our field team helps to kind of supplement that and ease the pain a little bit. Uh, but I think everyone sees, you know, as they're in the ACO uh, year after year, that we start to shore that up pretty quickly. So you must get asked a lot because your exposure is so broad in the HR space. Uh, what's the best EHR? And I wouldn't, uh, I won't try to pin you down on that uh, on this show, maybe after. But I would ask why, why would, might that be a hard question to answer if it is? Yeah, my favorite question ever. Um, <laughs> I figured. Once a week, somewhere that's coming up. Um, and our practices want that. You know, it's, I'm considering switching what's the best one. And the reason it's hard to answer is everybody's criteria is just going to be different. You know, you got to look at what the model is for your practice uh, to even know what might be a fit. So, you know, different EHRs have very different slants in the market that just may not be a match for you. So you can tease them out, even some of the top guys, pretty fast that it's not about the functionality. Um, always it's really whether you want to outsource your billing or you want an all-in-one system or mo mobile kind of capabilities or tablet like all those things can really quickly determine what's going to be a match for you at all um and you know the best ehr um for some is the one they don't touch. So, you know, if they're wanting to dictate mm -hmm. or um, they have something in mind specifically about what is their ideal state of documentation, um, that can change things pretty fast in terms of where you narrow them down to. I'll also say that it's really interesting. Um, you know, you can look at any of our EHRs where we got multiple people using them and find the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. So the same product, the same version, we're going to have people who love it, would never get rid of it, and think it's the best thing ever to those who are ready to mm. kick it out the door at the first chance they've got. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons uh, for why people have a very different experience. Some of that is it just really wasn't the match in the first place, uh, that it, it, it shouldn't have been the pick uh, to begin with, maybe, um, along all the other reasons that, you know, an EHR over time may not feel like a fit to a practice. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, another podcast uh, that's put on by uh, the Venture Capital Fund that is a large investor in Allidade. Uh, it's called Venrock. And they were uh, the, taping an interview with Robert Wachter, who's the chairman of medicine at UCSF. I believe. Is that right, Josh? I'm not sure. I don't remember. I think yeah. I, he was at one point, I believe. So he's also written a lot of books about um, uh, digital healthcare. I think he wrote a book called The Digital Doctor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and when asked about what he saw as the future of healthcare, he said it was having an EHR system that worked like Alexa. Yeah, you know that was a natural language processing system, so that it worked like dictation, but would populate your problem list, would add the HMP, and would remove the problem of um, doctors having to sit there and type while yeah. they're talking to a patient. 
Um, have you seen anybody doing anything like that? You're seeing some layers of that. It's actually been some years since some of those have been out. So, um, you know, there's a Note Swift kind of layer that partners with some top EHRs uh, is one that comes to mind where, yeah, they're really leveraging kind of that I just want to dictate idea of I want the mic in my hand to um, kind of that layer as a Note Swift as an example that as you dictate it, those commands are what's navigating in your EHR and applying that documentation. So it kind of becomes this, yep, you got the EHR, you're going to meet meaningful use. We're going to add this layer to kind of facilitate that documentation via voice command. Some hiccups, right? It was the early stages of really making that work for folks um, and training a dictation device and all right. that good stuff that came with it. So, But I think it kind of proved the concept to where you're seeing um, some top vendors now embrace that in a more embedded way to where they're implementing like a virtual assistant type capabilities mm-hmm. into the EHR. So, so AI empowered. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some of these were launched in the last year at user group meetings and we're kind of waiting to see them deployed in a, in a GA uh, kind of environment. But yeah, that, that same kind of concept of, you know, whatever, I think eClinicalWorks is going to call it EVA. Um, so mm-hmm. hey, EVA, show me, you know, the last BMI on this patient or show me the last mammogram mm-hmm. report and kind of trigger the side panel of um navigating Hmm. that for you so even if you're doing some of your documentation that you've got this little kind of handy tool to help navigate your chart and kind of see things side by side um, so that as you're creating a plan and placing orders that you've got the context within the patient chart that you hope to have i have google home in my house and i Sometimes I ask it to play music and then it will come on so loudly and then I'm trying to tell it to turn it down, but it can't hear me. So I'm yelling at the top of my lungs in my living room to turn down the music and the whole scene is very ridiculous. I'm picturing a doctor there with their EHR. There's going to be some interesting fumbles in the practice and, you know, where are they going to do this and, you know, what kind of show are we going to put on for the patient? But um, the idea certainly has a lot of folks excited. Now we get to see how it plays out once it becomes real and in the hands of folks. Josh, I love that image. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, interestingly, uh, Dr. Wachter brought up this point that, uh, and I hadn't heard this before, one of the fastest growing jobs in healthcare is being a scribe. So yeah. going in, the doctor is speaking to the patient, taking the H&P, what have you, and somebody is just standing there writing it all down, not in a not straight dictation, but sort of with an interpretive function, replacing what we're gonna do with an AI layer. Yeah. Um, he made the point, which I think was a good one, only in healthcare do we find um, a technolo- technological efficiency by adding another person to the process. <laughs> uh-huh. So we've added an additional salary line. A transcriptionist. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And I played a scribe for a few months, so in kind of my consulting years, um, as much as it, you know, kind of broke our heart that um, it was the reality of what people wanted, um, we did deploy a, a scribe model and spent several months kind of proving that out and and onboarding folks to kind of be an outsourced scribe to them, to plant them in their practice and go into the room with them and by the time they walked out have their note completed and orders placed and that they would just review and sign off on it. So I'm glad that some of those models haven't taken off and that hopefully the vendors are going to address some usability stuff to to avoid that really being the answer long term but there's a good number of them and a lot of emergency departments still have them around for sure you know it, it's interesting that uh ehrs are they're so widespread i think the the penetration's at 90 percent now in the u.s um but doctors just aren't happy with them as a product line Um, and you know I have uh, I like most doctors I know go to the doctor as infrequently as humanly possible Uh, but I have kids now so I end up spending time in pediatricians offices and seeing the variation in the way providers interact with patients Mm -hmm. across the EHR and 
what an interesting thing that I found is if I ever let it slip in the doctor's office that I'm a physician as well, they immediately complain about their EHR. <laughs> um, particularly in the systems, we had a um, we had a, a specialist who was at a large hospital system in Boston where my kids were born, and. He, I mean, the vast majority of the appointment was him complaining about their system. I won't name the system and I won't name the HR, but um, why do you think that is? Like, what has been the limitation when we're in an era, an Apple era, where the most valuable company um, that we've ever seen is about a user experience on the tech side with software and hardware and all those things interacting together? Uh, we talked about Alexa. There's all these other places where we're seeing it. What? Why are we so limited in the EHR space for making products that doctors actually like? Yeah, tricky one and a whole lot of answers to that, but a, a few that I always kind of go to, I, I think in a health system side, certainly you get, you're just the receiver of this sort of top down, a lot of decisions are made and here you go, use this EHR and you don't have a lot of say in it. So just part um, of the, the loss of autonomy being part of the frustration? Yeah, you're, you're not, you know, it's not Burger King, you can't make it your way on the EHR, that's not... <laughs> That's not the way the health system is, you know, deploying it. They're really looking for standardization, and and um, a lot of times, you know, that creates an EHR system that just gets them mm-hmm. stuck a lot of times to where uh, they, you know, have to really fight to do the right thing and, and find the right thing. Um, I think you know, on the ambulatory side, where obviously we live most, um, some of it, you know, if you place blame on the EHR vendor some. Uh, I think it's fair that meaningful use for all that it did in creating a a foundation of um, kind of basic functionality being in place and uh, kind of being the forcing factor to get folks uh, to have an EHR at all and using it. Um, Vendors got distracted. They've been chasing certification requirements uh, instead of, you know, looking at what the providers really want and um, really addressing usability. They've really just been bolting on a lot of things so that they can meet that certification and get that product out the door and say that they're certified. Um, And um, certainly can understand that that is no small feat uh, to keep up with some of these. And for many vendors, that was a really big um, lift for them to uh, keep up with some of the interoperability requirements um, and they may not have deployed them in a very elegant way mm-hmm. as a result so uh, a lot of bolt-on a lot of feeling disconnected and things that just didn't feel like a common sense workflow um, that was just cumbersome and made it certainly feel like you were just forced to go through the motions of checking all the boxes and that felt like you know has felt like the reality of what you have to do in the EHR um, but we also saw a lot of really fast implementations during meaningful use time. Uh, you know, understandably going after uh, the meaningful use incentives and wanting to get one up in a certain time frame to do that, that folks went live and nothing's changed since. So they really just left that EHR stagnant. Uh, it takes a lot to keep up even when there are new functionalities rolled out from your EHR vendor, to take the time to understand them and think about how they could uh, be used to make your workflow better and implement them. So we certainly run into a lot of folks um, now who that's kind of exactly their complaint is, I'm not looking to switch, but I'm not happy. (laughs) And I think there's more to this that I need to kick the tires on Mm -hmm. it more and I'm just not sure where to start. Uh, to use what I have Um, this is a big investment and this is a top vendor you know in many cases and I just don't think we've revisited it uh, enough to kind of make it sing the way it could now we're not exactly knocking their socks off with what (laughs) some of those changes are but um, there's certainly often a lot of wins of just it's not enough just to go live with an EHR. Um, you don't know what you don't know when you first go live and use it for months that you really got to revisit, optimize, and kind of take inventory of what's working, what's not, and what other options you have that may, you know, maybe you were told an implementation, maybe not, but um, 
once you're a little more informed, it's a good time to revisit those and keep chipping away at the things that can make your life easier that your EHR may already have. I have the, the pleasure of being in practices with at the very early stages of their interaction with Allidaid as part of the launch process and that implementation side um, and working with folks from your team, uh, sometimes you yourself, uh, with the EHRs. And the word I've used for those aha moments is um, it's like alchemy or wizardry. When you go into a practice where they may have struggled with the achieving the full capabilities of this complex system um, and somebody from your team can come in and help make that work better for them in some cases. And it's really uh, rewarding to see. And uh, I can imagine it's part of what makes you excited to do this work and keeps coming back to do it. It's fun to be the hero. You just (laughs) happen to know something that you can float out there in a practice and sort of change their viewpoint on your EHR, at least for maybe part of that day. Um, So yeah, that's definitely the satisfying part is being able to find those wins and a lot of times just kind of connect the dots. Things feel very disconnected and kind of show them how some of those things um, can weave together uh, to feel a little bit better about um, how they're using their system. And if if I, I don't, I don't see patients anymore, but let's say I had a practice and I saw patients and I was um, unhappy with my current EHR um, and I came to you for advice about that, given all that you've seen and all these practices you've been in, uh, now, um, thinking about something that might work better for my needs as, if, let's say, I'm an independent primary care provider, something we, we know pretty well here at Allidade, um, or uh, I think I'm paying too much, you know, that balance. I, I think of it almost like buying a car, you know, what's yeah. the best car for you is a tough question to answer because it might be a Subaru Outback or it might be a, a, a Porsche 911. So, um, but there's no Porsche 911. <laughs> call it out unless uh, you're any qualified for that. But. So, but what do you like? How would you direct me in that? Like, the, just the thought process. I'm curious as somebody who knows this really well. Usually, when folks throw out like I'm ready to switch switch EHRs, I, I have a little cringe and like pause. Like, why? Um, make sure you really step back and you know it's not a rash decision that um, you know it's not going to be easy so let's really make sure that a switch is going to do what you think it's going to do for you because it may be a you know from the skillet to the frying pan you know scenario Mm -hmm. that um, every EHR system kind of has their um, warts I mean they're they're not um, certainly all going to just magically address all your needs by making a switch and you may certainly feel like you've gone backwards in some respects on functionality so one just you know what's the real driver as to why is it financial is it functionality performance etc and making sure that they kind of break that down uh, to know uh, what the switch is going to do for them so if it's performance hey, maybe that's not the product maybe it's how it's deployed just because it's slow doesn't mean it's the EHR's fault. Or uh, if it's a price point, really looking at that total cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're hearing that you can get an EHR for $500 a month, um, you know, there's a big cost to sure. data migration and the staff uh, time involved in uh, transferring all that data and potentially decreasing your schedule for a good chunk of time in order to ramp up to that new EHR. And those may wash out really fast. And exploring really the total cost from you know the add-on perspective, you know, a base price, just like your car, mm-hmm. um, may not include <laughs> Air all of those, you know, <laughs> what you think are basic sure. uh, that certainly a lot of vendors end up adding on, which becomes big surprises um, and, and doesn't end up even being a win from a cost uh, perspective. So Certainly uh, important to just take your time on on evaluating uh, what a switch is going to do for you and working those numbers. Um, And again, don't let the technology kind of drive your your practice. Make sure you're stepping back first before you start diving into EHRs or you look, uh, you know, at your 
pal down the street and what EHR he's using is happy with because, again, the model for your practice and what you want uh, may not be a fit. So, you know, outsourced billing and, uh, again, all those things that, you know, what you envision for how your practice works, those are the things that should steer what technology you look at and not expect to back into it the other way around by picking another vendor, finding out that uh, you got a whole host of just different problems to deal with, and then dealing kind of with those uh, very similarly. So clean slate can be good, certainly. You know, we got folks making some switches uh, all the time right now, but um, being very clear about the big picture of that and you as a physician maybe not liking that EHR could wreak havoc on your revenue cycle sure. and, and all those other pieces of the things right. that are working. So uh, important not to be short-sighted as you make that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. So as we wrap up, we've been talking mostly about EHRs in the context of their, their usability. Um, but let's bring it back to ACOs again. So for practices and providers who are in ACOs, they have some specific requirements that they have to meet related to their EHR use, right? Yeah, so it's, you know, EHRs aren't a nice to have in our world. <laughs> they're, they're the must have. So CMS expects that as a, an EHR participant that you've got certified EHR technology in place and there's a number of compliance uh, areas that that hits on. So it's going to affect uh, the ACO. We get graded on how many of our practices are um, using certified EHR technology and to some extent how well they're using EHR technology. Um, so that has a very direct correlation you know, to our savings. So there's a, a very real financial impact uh, if we do not have folks on EHR technology. So um, it's going to affect the ACO and it's going to impact the practice. So uh, practices in an ACO absorb the total score of the ACO for their MIP score. And a key element of that, 30% of that score, is um, now called promoting interoperability, which used to be ACI and which before that was meaningful use, but is largely the same stuff. And that score carries a good amount of weight. So um, really making sure each individual practice has an EHR in place and has a pretty solid level of adoption has some very real downstream impacts on both the ACO and the practice that we can't avoid. Like it's definitely package deal and that only heightens when we have ACOs that switch to two-sided risk. So a prerequisite to even be eligible for savings on a two-sided risk model are for 2018 that at least 50% of all of our practices successfully meet the promoting interoperability measures and they're proposing that for next year that that goes up to 75%. Mm -hmm. So we really don't have a lot of room for folks uh, that are slacking on their EHR adoption and real utilization. Well, thanks, Rick. We knew you'd be a good interviewer. Thank you all so much. Thanks, Rick.